Bienvenidos al podcast de Latino Founder Hour. Each week we invite you to spend an in-depth hour with us as we speak with a Latino startup founder from somewhere around the world. Aquí conocerás esas historias de éxito y fracasos, retos personales y lecciones aprendidas. And we have fun. We're live every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific time. Tune in at startupradionetwork.com. O en versión podcast después del show. Escucha. Listen. Aprende. Learn. Y emprende. Launch. Bienvenidos a Latino Founder Hour. Los saluda Edgar Navas, fundador de Clica. Eh, muchas gracias por sintonizarnos hoy, 10 de abril del año 2020. And we're going to switch to English because we're broadcasting live today remotely again, you know, given the circumstances. And I'm currently in Mexico. I've been here for a few weeks now, uh, actually almost a little bit over a month. And apparently, we just switched paths and uh, crossed paths with uh, my guest today, a friend for from a, for, a, for, a, for a few years, Angel Medina, founder of Small Time Roasters. Angel, welcome to the show. How are you doing, man? Hermano, ¿cómo estás? How's, you're in Mexico, huh? Muy bien. I'm in Mexico, right? Yeah, I've been here for <laughs> yeah for a little bit over a month. Uh, yeah, just writing it out, hiding, uh, working from home like everybody else. That's incredible. But, uh, I was. For me, it was the opposite, right? That I was I was in a comfortable, wonderful place, and and I think I started to uh, not necessarily panic, but I started to worry about my family back here and some of my employees. So I said, okay, I got to come back to Portland. And uh, man, I tell you, I miss that place. <laughs> so uh, tell me, where in Mexico were you? Uh, I was well, I was sort of bouncing around everywhere. I got to Mexico late August uh, of last year. I uh, got to Mexico City and and was there for about a month and then just sort of hopped around. I did some consulting in between there. So uh, most of the hopping around happened in in the fun parts of Mexico. So like the uh, in Merida, I spent some time in Oaxaca, Chiapas, uh, a little bit of time in Veracruz, and and uh, then I came back to Mexico City. Oh, nice. Well, and, you know, by the way, I owe you a thank you. Uh, I think I sent you a thank you note before, but thank you again because you got, you got us uh, hook us up with a guest. Fantastic interview. And I think you were consulting with them. Thank you again yeah. For, for, yeah, you know, that was, that, that was a great conversation. But just, just so we get started, I can, uh, the, 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 where are you from originally? Where do you grow up and how do you, yeah, I, we just want to know a little bit more. Yeah, so I was uh, I was born in uh, Orange County. Uh, my parents are both uh, Mexicans, first gen. Uh, I was there until the age of four, and at the age of four, my parents uh, moved back to Mexico. Uh, my father played uh, at like second, third division uh, soccer, football, and uh, yeah, oh, wow. he, was a, yeah, he was a hustler. So we went back to Jalisco, uh, where his family was, and from the age of four to eight, I was uh, living with my parents, and then from the age of in in Guadalajara, Tlaquepaque, to be more specific. And from the age of eight to, I think, 12, I was uh, in Tijuana with my grandmother, who raised me up until that time. And I think at the age of 12 is when we, when my parents uh, decided to come back to the States. And from then, in Southern California, uh, Ontario, California, to be more specific. And uh, I was there for quite a few years. Uh, I hopped around all over the country during my professional career. And Uh, my background is in in business consulting, banking, and then uh, a few years ago, I mean, it's what was it? About ten years ago, I, I moved to Portland and did that for a bit uh, during the middle of the recession, and then uh, hopped on and 
took a job with Airbnb, which was wonderful. And then from Airbnb, I started a small time roasters, which was my roasting. It was a way of, for me to, to, um, to get some money together for DACA recipients, uh, raise, uh, not just money. Cause it wasn't, it was a significant amount, but it wasn't like going to change a lot. I think the awareness piece was the most important part. So I started with that and that sort of snowballed into, uh, what became, uh, opening a shop kiosco, which, uh, that's how you and I met. And after yeah. kiosco, con leche, la perlita. And then, uh, after two years, I, I wanted to focus more on the, um, on on spending more time at origin and working on projects that i was passionate about uh, just being closer to where where you know that i felt like i i can be more useful you know coffee is a lot of fun and having coffee shops is fun but but it's also i don't know i i just wanted to i, I felt like i had worked enough i know that sounds crazy after two years and and i was able to leave my shops with my uh employees and 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 pass them down and, and made sure that they stayed Latino and, and or Latinx, whatever you want to call it. And then, yeah, man, I've, I've spent the last six months uh, in Mexico. So go figure. No, that, 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 that's a fantastic. Because I remember when I met you, 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 yeah, you had just meant to jump from technology to yeah. coffee. And I was, just, I was mesmerized by that. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And, and, and I was being in the, in the entrepreneur world, uh, in the startup world, like, wow, I, in a hyper competitive uh, place like Portland for coffee, where we seem to have, uh, you know, a coffee shop, just, you know, I mean, you, you turn around and you see one. Yeah. It's like, how do you uh, go from like, Hey, you know what? I want to open this. I want, I want to start it. This is, this sounds like a great idea in a hyper competitive market. Right. Very um, uh, hyper localist. And, so what was the definite moment for you? Or how, how are you passionate about coffee? Well, that's a that's a great question. I think for me, it was uh, one. Yeah, it was exactly that, right? That I was passionate about it. I I found a way to wrap nostalgia around um, creating a, a realistic timeline. You know, I always think that uh, when people start talking about opening coffee shops, they always think of it in the very nostalgic um, state of mind, right? Like a preconceived nostalgia, what it's going to be like to have your friends, your family come and visit, and like have this awesome shop with great music playing in the background and serving the best coffee, and that's wonderful that's important but for me it was always there was always a timeline attached to it um you know i couldn't just open a coffee shop and say oh cool this is what i'm going to do for the rest of my life in fact if anything it was very humbling to to go from having uh somewhat of a, a desk job right and 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 grinding 12 13 hours a day for almost four months without a day off before i had my first day off and and you know like learning that this is this is the norm for some people for me it, it's always i've always worked hard but not to that extent where it, it it beats you down physically and mentally and if you don't have that in mind if you don't have the idea that like uh, i'm gonna open this business but here's the long term and for me the long term was to be the um to have more than one shop obviously because that's how you generate more revenue when you have such a small margin uh and yeah. at the end to be able to turn around and 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 um have like a long-term goal for me it's always it's always been to be the biggest uh mexican-american coffee roaster in the country and that still continues now and uh, but but you know with with all that of course it, it comes to there's a lot of pride in, in being mexican-american and being one of the few if not the only mexican-american coffee roaster and coffee shop owner multiple coffee shop owner here in the pacific northwest and one of the very few and one of the 
uh, first to to do that in in the states. You know, you usually have folks that have a coffee shop. or usually have um, some some people that uh, are roasters, but you don't necessarily have that combination. So for me, it was yeah. being able to take everything that I've taken from from my life experiences in in corporate America or in a professional and tech background, and being able to apply some of those things and and doing something greater than, than, than how it's done, while at the same time delivering a, a, what I believe to be a powerful message that coffee's grown in humble lands by humble souls. You know? So if you, if you can translate all that and somewhat make it into something, then that was, a, that was the end goal for everything. That was the motivation behind it always. Yeah, and, and that is great because, look, in the 100 and this is episode 109, like I mentioned, and those, I think we've already had three coffee founders, uh, two from Portland, one from uh, the East Coast. So, uh, again, it, it is fascinating to see, you know, the, you know, the parallels and say, like, how do we go on a, on a market that was commu- uh, commodity-based? You know, coffee, you know, I've been drinking coffee for many, many years. And up until, you know, a few years ago, I started being much more selective on what I drink, appreciating more the tones, uh, you know, how I drink it. I have different contraptions at home. And a lot of that I've been, you know, through learning like people like you, you know, going through kiosks when we met, like, huh, look, look at this. This is a different approach. You know, I think you were the first uh, coffee shop in, 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 in the area to make cortados. Yeah. Uh, Cubano cortado, which is, uh, yeah, it, it's a completely different way. So, uh, you know, going back from the, uh, you know, commodity base to a specialty, a very specialty niche market, how do you, you know, how do you envision this when you were, you know, trying to make the jump? What was your roadmap? Well, for me, it was always to stay true to to the things I believed in. I think that uh, in specialty coffee, especially here in Portland, because I mean, as some of your audience may know, Portland is the um, it's considered by many to be the the best city for coffee. I mean, you can make that argument about Seattle, uh, but Portland with <laughs> its density and and you know. I mean, you, you, like you mentioned earlier, you have a coffee shop everywhere. Uh, the thing with that, though, is that most coffee shops, especially the ones that are serving uh, something that's uh, uh, above commodity, right? Some of these coffees that, that are um, considered special by the way that they're ranked, by the way that they're scored and, and their origins and their stories. And uh, usually when you have coffee shops like this that pay this much attention, they usually look the same. You know, you have a... You have a very stereotypical, almost cliche, um, whatever you can imagine from a Portlandia episode of what your coffee shop looks like. Or maybe you have one of those that's out of your, your house, right? Like the bearded guys, tattoos. They, um, you don't see a lot of diversity. And for me, that was the biggest thing. You know, when at the prime, when, when I had all three shops, which um, which is, uh, you know, everything's happened so fast because we you remember like you, we went from you hanging out on like a on a Tuesday for like an hour to like, hey, man, I don't have time. I got to go open a second shop and I got to open a third shop like we yeah. opened all three shops in one year. And every one of them was a, its own uh, individual representation of, of that neighborhood. Right. Like I, I don't believe in and creating something that's so um, I don't want to say corporate, but it's so. Uh, cliche with what's out there. Every one of them had a different name and a different identity because that's what the neighborhood called for. You know, they had a very different vibe, uh, which is how restaurateurs approach this thing to begin with. But for me, it was just like, do it different. You know, the reason why we serve cortaditos and not cortados or flat whites is because I'm not European. 
you know, I don't serve, uh, I didn't serve cappuccino. We'll make you a cappuccino. We'll make you a latte. But uh, in our menu, you're going to see it as cafe con leche or, or you're going to see it as a cafecito, yeah. right? Like, and that's the way it should be. So right now you have so many young people that, that sort of follow this, this like, this blueprint of how it's done. And I don't have that. I don't have that background. I wasn't a roaster. I wasn't a barista. I wasn't a manager. I, I come from a different place. And I just said, you know what? Screw that. We're going to do it with what we know. So, you know, when I think I, to this day, I'm still the only one uh, serving Cafe de Olla year round, right? And it's not like the Mickey Mouse version that you see the, of Cafe de Olla. Like there's a lot of work to go into it to make it um, blend in correctly with the espresso and to make it so that it's an actual representation of something that us as uh, uh, Mexican-Americans or Mexicans uh, grew up with in some way, right? It's nostalgic, uh, but it's nostalgic year round. And that's kind of oh, why we do that. You know, when you walked in, you seen the menu completely in Spanish. Um, you know, when at the prime, when we had all three shops uh, going, we had 13 employees. And out of those 13, there was uh, nine kids that were of uh, Latin descent. So, or Hispanic descent or Latinx descent, whatever you want to call it. So how do you explain yeah. that to, to, how does, how do the other shops explain that, you know, in, in Portland or everywhere else? Like, how is it that you're having a hard time finding Latinos to represent a, a, a something that, that is so, you know, Latin American. So, you know, coffee comes, the majority of it, it's either coming from Africa or it's coming from Latin America. Why aren't Correct. you, why isn't this being represented? And for me, that was a big part of our, our mission. Um, I don't want to, I don't know if it's a mission statement, but maybe part of our purpose and part of the thing that we wanted yeah. to be different to be uh, the, um, sort of uh, kind of an outlier in, in, in this like packed um, field of, of coffee shops and coffee roasters in the city. I, and, and I agree. I, I'm just doing the parallels right now with you were mentioning the corporate, obviously to my mind can come the Starbucks, which, you know, everybody knows they've been tremendously successful because they provide an experience, which is a standardized experience, whether you go to uh, Shanghai, to Portland or Mexico City, you know you're going to see the same thing. So right. if that's your vibe, that's what you're going to get. But this is based on, on, on a different experience. It's bringing you an international experience to you. Here it is. And like you were mentioning, I mean, I just remember going in time, smelling the, uh, the Café de Olla, that brings you back home. And for the yeah. people that have never experienced, I was like, well, here's an opportunity for you to travel internationally without leaving your backyard and, and do the smell that, you know, uh, and to me, honestly, like I said, it, it brought me back to childhood. It's like, oh, wow, I'm just walking into my great-grandma's house. That's awesome. And it, it's one of those things that I'm like, shit, man. It's like, wow, where am I? It's like, it's <laughs> and it, it happens to people, you know, through smell and taste, where you're like, wow. Uh, I just walked in and I just fell in love with the kiosk. I was like, hey, this is it's like home. Yeah. You know? That was, yeah, that was so. the idea. You know, with, with one of the things that I wanted to do early on was just to um, – sort of confuse you. you if for anybody that, that anybody in your audience that had a chance to go uh and support their net town that's wonderful uh it's now owned by one of my employees that turned it into a vegan shop it's a different vibe uh but it's a vibe that's closer to the you know a lot of who they were trying to appeal at the time but at the prime um the idea was just to confuse your senses right to make you feel like to make you forget that you were in portland to begin with uh and you know we went a little heavy on the on the spanish uh, my employees and i communicated in spanish if we um we we did everything possible to initiate that conversation so that you if you weren't latino didn't have to feel awkward for asking 
you know, like um, so many people here, I've, I've heard this from baristas um, and I had a situation where one of my baristas um, uh, who was a uh, Latinx um, or considered themselves Latinx uh, complained that somebody tried talking to her in Spanish and she's like, and she started speaking to him in English and, and he was kind of, he was, this, this customer still continued, right? Trying to push the Spanish and she was annoyed by it. I'm like, why were you annoyed by it? Like, this is, you should take that as a compliment, right? Like we, we made the menus in Spanish. We made our drinks in Spanish. We were very yeah. Latin X or Latino, uh, like driven shop. Like you should be like, this is an opportunity for you to talk about everything that you want to talk about because people are coming here. And if they want to bring up the conversation that you are, uh where how do you what's your story how did you guys start like this is a place to do it if you're offended by somebody asking you of, of like where's your accent from um i mean granted you know there, that's one of those questions where you're like okay it takes a lot of uh, um comfort to 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 ask that but if if anywhere was going to be asked it was going to be in this one of these shops and and you know most of us we're pretty good at answering that and being able to build on that conversation and to talk about some of the things that we were passionate about. Right. No, 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 no. And by the way, you know, to, to be, uh, I'm still, uh, I'm still a customer. I, I still go there. Well, obviously nice. not right now right. <laughs> because we're all, everybody's in lockdown, everything's shut. But up until recently, uh, I've been enjoying, you know, because it's, it's a small, comfortable location. So, but, uh, so, so that those you know, drawing those parallels, I want to go back and, and because I remember having conversations with you, just learning more about you. Um, if I want to call it vertically integrating your uh, your uh, your business, going all the way down to the source, and, and you tell me, you know, some some of the you know, magnificent, I mean, amazing people that you met that that you're partnering with, and what are yeah. you doing? I, I want to talk a little bit more about that. Uh, you know, it's with, you know, some award-winning copies. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny you mentioned that today. I was I spent the last few days uh sort of um spending I I've spent a lot of time writing in the last six months. And as of recently I, my Instagram account has turned into more of a like a light reading diary of, of how to open a coffee shop, especially in the last few days. And today I was talking about Volcan de Fuego, which was my first uh commitment to to Mexican coffee. And and the thing was that I I was very obsessed, like a lot of these young roasters here, uh, I was obsessed with like really bright citric fruity coffees for a long time. This is all I drank. And I never really touched anything that tasted like chocolate or nutty or any of that stuff, or even that was a medium roast or anything beyond it. And when I got this coffee, the first sample from this Mexican coffee, I knew that I wanted to serve it. And I knew that I wanted to to like represent that at least as much as I could in our shops. So at the time there was an, and even now there's not a lot of Mexican coffees being served. And part of that is because there's a general stigma that um, there's a lot of imperfections or they're just not, you know, the, the, the best specialty coffee. So when I got this sample, I started roasting it. I started trying to figure out how to make this great. And it took me a few attempts and I finally tried it and, and I learned to perceive the, this is like a, a something that that was more traditional, something that you and and I grew up on. They might that our parents and grandparents would love. So, um, and and turns out that ninety seven percent of the population out there is this is what they drink daily. You know, like the other stuff that I was so focused on on trying to bring out and and like these this like really rare, really expensive African coffees that are incredible, but not too many people enjoy those. So 
Um, when I first put out the Volcan de Fuego and Mexican coffee, it, the first week it sold four to one, the next week six to one. And then after that, it became an eight to one favorite in the shops. And I just did not understand how a coffee that cost almost half the cost that, um, in my opinion, was uh, very imperfect at times. It took so much effort to bring out, became so popular. So I couldn't wrap my head around whether it was the because it was from Mexico and I was Mexican. Uh, or because it was uh, the packaging, I, I didn't know. So I kept I kept roasting it and it kept selling. And eventually I was like, I gotta meet the, I gotta take my first trip to origin. And my first trip was to Colima. And in Colima, I'm, I don't know if you're familiar, or your audience is familiar with Colima. Colima is one of the small states nestled between uh, Morelia and, and Jalisco. And, and and it's pretty easy to get around, right? Like you fly in and, yeah. and you get in there, and within 30 minutes. To Guadalajara. Yeah. 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 You can take a, a flight to Guadalajara, to our bus ride to Colima. And then uh, in Colima, once you're in the center, um, you're 30 minutes from each uh, coffee farm. So it's pretty easy. It's near a giant volcano. And, and that's what the legend has. So that's what makes it special. So I went down there, I met the producers, and, and I just fell in love with the story. And the first thing that, that your distributor, the person that, that, is in charge of, of finding these coffees and bringing them to you. The first thing they tell you is like, you're not making any commitments. Like you're going to fall in love with these people, like, but you're going to fall in love at every farm. So try not to, to, to do anything where you say, yeah, I'm going to buy it. Like it's, I got you because at that point it, it almost makes it so that they don't really have to try as hard to, to make it perfect because they, it's almost like they pre-sold it. So there's oh, different, okay. there's different ways of thinking about it. And I was just like, yeah, sure, whatever. And, and sure enough, man, like the first stop I went to, um, first farm, and you see that there's like 80 folks living in this in this finca, and yeah. everybody knew we were coming. And it's like coming into a small town and, and like you like hometown hero sorts. That's the only way that I could describe it. So to be able to have those conversations in Spanish, to see that uh, this very humble community has like a whole, uh, you know, carne asada and and mezcal and cerveza and everything ready for you and they're like excited to have you and you're like you know what i'll take it all and, and i could just see the guy shaking his head like dude you, this is the first thing i told you not to do do not commit to buying our coffee. So, <laughs> and i didn't care man so at the end i ended up buying uh um the entire production of what is considered specialty for colima which was a major commitment it was 44 bags of coffee uh these are all 70 kilogram bags so to put it into perspective i at the time, we were going through like one 70 kilogram bag of green coffee uh, a month, and I had just committed to 44. And these bags have oh a, wow, yeah, they have stability of maybe eight months max. And I just remember at the time, I'm like, what the heck did I do? Like, I just like, all right, I got to figure out how to do this. So my way of um, of being able to to sell more of that coffee is just to commit more to to the producers to share their stories to to really more than anything um grow my distribution to open more shops and yeah man we we finished those 44 bags in in just about that time around seven to eight months and and then i became just obsessed with with wanting to be wanting to spend more time with them wanting to, to have a greater connection and uh not necessarily cut out the middlemen you know you could do that when you're a big institution but for us being so small it was almost easier to have yeah somebody that we trusted that i knew was taking care of the, the producers that, that they were getting a fair wage that they were able to sort of walk us through um when the season out when harvest began and and how that shipment was coming along and 
and take care of all that because we're just so new into the game. But ultimately, long story short, I guess that's that's the way that I became obsessed. It was almost a it was a little scary at times, but you know it worked out. You know, uh, I I have a shipment of Kalima coming in next week, and um, just last week when I came back to Portland to start roasting again, or yeah, last week I started roasting again, and 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 it continues. You know, and and the mission is still the same to 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 bring some of the best coffees from Mexico, some of the stuff that you're not really going to find at any of these shops because we have those direct connections now. So it's taking some time, but, but, you know, it, what makes us different, I guess, is the fact that um, aside from spending the time there, aside from like being able to share the stories, um, I actually believe that we're one of the best roasters in, in the country, not just in the Pacific Northwest. And, and we're able to do that because you know, you can you can take a bad coffee, but you can't really roast it to perfection because there's not really much to roast. And you could take a yeah. really great coffee and be a, a mediocre roaster and still have a great coffee. So for us, we don't know where we stand. We're pretty confident on, or and when I say we, I mean I as a roaster, I'm pretty confident that, that I have a skill. But a lot of it has to do with this coffee that I'm bringing in, and I do believe that that this is some of the best Mexican coffee that that you. Know, drinking your uh i don't want to say your lifetime for the time being for the unforeseeable future this is going to be this is going to be some of the best stuff you're going to drink so and, and, and does that have to do anything again you know with the terroir the you know where the uh oh, well it, it, it does but you know how, how much is that influence versus um you know what the um the producer does the the farmer you know that's a that's that's so interesting because uh it, it has a lot to do with everything so just to give you an idea, um, the difference between like a, a traditionally grown coffee and like organic, you guys had Martin Mayorga here. And, and I don't know if you talked a little yeah. bit about this, but like organic coffee, for example, takes about three years just to get the soil right, just to make sure that it's all organic, that nothing, that's no fertilizers or pesticides have been used, that it's been blessed by somebody. No, not blessed, but maybe it, it almost feels to that extent, right? It's three years of just getting the earth yeah. right. And then about three or four years before it starts producing coffee, it's an extensive oh, wow. process. And, you know, you just that's that's how organic coffee comes about. It's a lot more rigorous of a process for most of the stuff that's traditional. You you know, you you it comes from it could be anything. We still haven't explained it. the coffee is never going to be the same one year after another. Um, sometimes it's going to be a little better. Other times it's just going to be not as great, but it's still going to be good if you're a great you know, a great finca, right? But it, it changes. So it, it it's all it all has to do with elevation, with uh the season, you know, the type of rain that you've got, um, and the kind of climate that you had over the last season. So this is why roasters and distributors spend so much time uh slurping coffee, you know, like cupping as they call it, where you have about 20 bowls of 20 different coffees and they taste one by one individually because that's truly the way that you can taste it. So um, as a as a buyer and as an importer, your job is to go out to the field and to make sure that that before you even buy any of that stuff, that you see that the processes are being followed, that the coffee is being properly dried, properly stored, and all these things are happening before you even taste it. Otherwise, if you have something that doesn't work, and not just the coffee, but from like the infrastructure, from the way that a, a the owner of a finca is paying the people that are picking, like these are things that you 
take care of ahead of time. And then after you get that figure out, then you have to worry about the coffee. So it's a rigorous process. And fortunately for us, we have uh, we have folks that are in this industry 24-7, the crop to cups of the world, the red foxes, people that are distributors, that their entire job is just to go out there and create those connections. And once you, they make those connections. They start becoming, you know, they offer us samples. We try them. And if we love a coffee, we say, tell me more about it. And then we go out there and and we make that connection directly. So um, traditionally, that's that's a model that we use. And, and for us, because we're so small, that's very much the model. We have some great direct connections with folks, but we still need somebody in the middle to handle the entire importing transaction. So. No, Angel, that's fascinating. I want to move on to the, you know, what's now the from small time roasters. But let's make yeah. let's make a quick pause just to pay the bills. Support for today's episode comes from our friends at Ruby Receptionist. At Ruby, they master the art of turning rings into relationships. Their team of remote receptionists answer all your calls live as if they're right there in your office. And with Ruby's mobile app, you easily control just how they screen, transfer, and take your messages. Together, you and Ruby transform your phone into the sales engine it was meant to be. Visit callruby.com forward slash startup radio to sign up, or better yet, call them at 833-861-8100 and use promo code STARTUPRUBY. Tell them Sylvia and Edgar send you and you get a $150 credit. Today's episode of the Latino Founder Hour is brought to you by CPA Dudes, where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash startup radio. So we're back with Angel Medina. Uh, Angel, just tell me, uh, tell me a little bit more about Small Time Roasters, now this new rebranding venture. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So Small Time Roasters um, was something that wasn't really... Um, thought out. I, like I mentioned earlier, I come from tech and I had a full-time job and, and a great life at one point. Uh, not that I don't have that great life, but it's just different now, right? Um, Small-time roasters was a way that I started raising proceeds for, for DACA recipients at the turn of the administration. And part of that was because I was concerned that some of the threats that were being made by the administration in, in 2016 was that they were, the first thing we're doing is just yeah. cutting cutting this off. So I started raising funds and and I was still working at Airbnb and and it was it was pretty simple. It's like, look, show me that you donated 10 bucks to, to United We Dream and I'll give you half a pound of coffee that I roasted in my home roaster. And it started with like five, six orders, five orders turned to like 20, 50, and eventually Airbnb themselves came to me and said, hey, we want to buy... 100 pounds off of you a week. So I had to switch to a much bigger roaster. So because of that, um, you know, I did that for about eight weeks. And and the beauty of that is that I didn't, I got to learn coffee by taking from everyone and necessarily from one source. And that sort of helped in, in the way that it, it made me a better roaster. But along the way, the popularity just I mean, this thing exploded in, in a good way, right? And we kept raising funds. And yeah. and at the end of it, I, I found Kiosco, I, I, which was this little tiny place in the marina in Portland. And, and within a month, we opened, we cleaned it up, we gutted it and, and created what we just talked about. And then six months later, opened a second shop. Six months after that, we opened a third. So we opened all three shops in one year, continued growing our business. But the name Small Time came from 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 my social media name that I've been using for years, small time genius, 
it was never really something that I, I thought out. I never really imagined <laughs> that it was going to be at this point, right? So, um, you know, there was a lot of business lessons learned over the last uh, three years. And and part of that was that there was, since there was never really, it was just like, okay, this is the target and it's a moving target and we kept moving closer towards it. But at the end, it's like, okay, if I could do it all over again, I would just really take the time to have a meaningful name, to have an actual like strategy that was bigger than something that, or not bigger, but there was more, there was more thought out than just saying, I want to be the biggest uh, Mexican American roaster in the US, right? Like, yes, that goal still remains, but there's also yeah. a whole map in the process that uh, we've drawn up over the, over the last uh, few months, as I, as I mentioned, I passed the shops down and I stopped the roasting for a minute until I figured it out. And these last six months that I've been in Mexico and I've been doing a lot of consulting, um, I got to sort of hone in on what it is that I wanted to tell and what stories I wanted to share. So came the name Reforma, which we were hoping to to sort of um, lay out in May, June, as we opened a shop in Southern California. And of course, because of COVID-19, that's all come to a halt and our plans and everybody's plans have changed. So the rebrand and everything is good to go, but we're sort of, we have it on hold until we figure out what this is. In the meantime, I came back to Portland and and I was like, okay, I'm going to enjoy this quarantine like everybody else. I'm going to sit at home and do some writing and two weeks, man, two weeks. That's all it took before I was like, I can't do this. So uh, we started to <laughs> back to, to our original roots and, and I started raising money and this is partly because of having conversations with my friends back in Mexico, shop owners, yeah. um, producers, roasters, baristas. And, you know, like the beauty of being in this country, uh, regardless of where you, where you stand politically, is that even if PPP hasn't come through for you as a business owner, uh, even if these grants or loans have not happened yet, there's still the safety net that they can happen or they will happen, right? At least we have that. In, in Mexico, you don't have that. And because I've spent Correct. so much time there, you know, it's become a like I, I I could see the worry in some of my my friends, and, and I said, you know what, man, I got all this coffee just sort of lying around that just came in. I'm gonna start roasting again a little earlier than schedule, and I'll do a jinky. You know, I'll just put it up on my social media, and then have some of my friends order coffee, and and whatever I raise, I'll send back to you. And I didn't really necessarily tell them that. I just sort of thought it out. Didn't really have a website up, and I made some new labels for old bags and started roasting, put it out there and and it just exploded again. I'm like, okay, here we go again. And then finally, oh, wow. um, this has all been like within the last week, like literally you got the website up that is fantastic. yesterday. No, I thought about it last week. I started roasting it. I, I roasted enough for 50 bags and all 50 bags sold within, within like a day. And then this is just putting it Holy on social media. So I got the money in and I sent it back to my friend, uh, Carlos de la Torre, who owns Avellaneda Cafe in Mexico City, uh, who to me is a national treasure because the dude is like, he's a legend, right? Like he recently won Coffee Masters, which is a competition for like the best of the best in the world, not just in Mexico. And, um, you know, it's an honor to 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 just be his friend, obviously. But uh, it's also an honor to help them uh, and, and be able to say, hey, man, like, look, I Portland people love you. Here's some money for your people, and and that money went back to his employees. And and you know they like I said they don't really have the same safety net that we do. And that was my way of thinking about it. So uh, every yeah. week for the next uh, four weeks, I'm doing something where I roast all this coffee that I have, and it's going to go back to somebody. And 
and that's it, man. Like there's really, there's really nothing structured about this. I just didn't want to get rusty and really more than anything, I just didn't want to get restless. And I figured this is a better, what better time to launch a brand new company than in the middle of a pandemic. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And I'm with you because look, there's two ways to see in a crisis, either you hunker down crying and then, or see, okay, yeah, I can cry for a day. Now, what are we going to do? Right. Uh, what are the opportunities? I mean, I don't want to sound awful and, you know, opportunistic, but like, well, we're all in the same boat. Uh, and, and you're going to grow. How, how are you going to do it? I mean, and, and this is the perfect example, man. I'm, I'm really happy for you. And uh, tell, tell us how we can help uh, spread the word with the next batch. I'll, I'll be glad to use all our social media channels. Yeah, so like, hey, guys, and, and count me in. And I, I want to buy you because I should be back in Portland in a week. And I'm definitely going to need coffee, so I'm, I'm I got for you. No, I got you. At least. So two, okay. two things. One, you could go on, on reformaroasters.com, which I'm telling you the website launch. Uh, when I say launch, that's such a professional technical term. I threw some stuff together, and I have an online store. And, and again, uh, it'll look a lot better in, in a month when we have the rebrand and, and, and all that. But for now, you could go to reformaroasters.com and order, and we'll ship okay. anywhere in the U.S., uh, if you're in Portland, I'll happily deliver it uh, from a distance, obviously. Uh, <laughs> but but just to go back to something you said, you know, you're right. It, that there's two ways of looking at it. You can you can definitely like be like, all right, well, this sucks, and and we all look at it that way. But you have to find a way to. If you, for me, I've I've been really lucky that 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 I sort of passed down and sold my shops uh, last year, six months ago, right? So I don't have to worry about. Yeah. 15 employees anymore. I have one employee and I made sure that I could take care of them as much as I could. And the rest will come from the government and hopefully we get these grants. But I also look at the opportunity and I see my friends here in Portland that are really taking advantage of this opportunity, not in a, like making a killing, but said, you know what, screw it. If we're going to close the shop down, I'm going to open up a little thing where you can just come in or come through outside and pick up a bunch of coffee and, and, the roasting hasn't stopped. Like they're selling a lot of coffee. They're selling a lot of cold brew. And that's the way that you have to really think about it to move forward. Like if, even if this thing continues on lockdown and this uh, PPP, uh, these uh, um, leaf fund comes through, um, then I'll find a way for my employee to be creative. If it means doing stuff on social media or spending more time talking about coffee or writing about coffee, there's got to be a way where those funds are funneled back to him so that he doesn't stay unemployed, but now also keep him active. So shutting down completely. Correct. I mean, this is something that, that is tough for anybody that, that has more than one employee. Uh, but I don't know. I think at this point, it's like find an opportunity to, to do whatever it is you can. I'm seeing some creative stuff out there from people delivering uh, food to your, to restaurants, delivering food to your door that I know it's a humbling yeah. experience, but for me, it, I mean, it's kind of nice that like the last few days here in Portland have been good. And, and I jumped in a car and drop off about 20 bags a day. And, and it sounds like fun in the beginning, but like, man, by that fifth, sixth order, when you're trying to figure out what house and what neighborhood you're in, it, it, it becomes frustrating. So shout out to anybody that's staying alive right now and that's keeping the business going. No, absolutely. And and like you said, you know, we're, we're thinking how creative creative, humbling for everyone because, I mean, I'm, I'm more humbling than a, a tiny thing that we can't see has uh, put the world in halt. 
uh, th- th- this is what, uh, this is the moment where we say, like, look, neither your money, nor your race, nor your anything can, you know, can, can make you different. We're all susceptible to, to, to get sick. So, you know, you stay home and then you try to figure out how to survive, how to write it out, and then how to come out, come out when the, you know, when we're, when we're out, outside of the tunnel. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, I, I just see that I'm so lucky to be back in Portland that, I found an Airbnb that was uh, okay with me being here and, and hunkering down and, and that I, you know, my family's okay back in SoCal and, and fortunately for us here in Oregon, it's been one of those things where our government acted quickly and like they did in California. And hopefully, you know, it, it's for the best and, and that we all stayed in and, and it continues to be that and, and that we could find a way out of this thing soon, right? Uh, or at least get more creative in the way that we do or conduct our business. Yeah, and, and, and talking about, you know, how creative, how, how do you envision right now, or you, you have a plan to apply more technology into what you're doing and do, you know, and it's, uh, you know, obviously with your goal of being the, the largest Mexican roaster in, in, in the U.S., do you have anything to, to make it scalable? Yeah, you know what's funny is that... Um, Prior to this, um, when I was doing the consulting, I was focusing on on helping people open shops um, because everything I've done, when I opened Kiosko, I opened it with $10,000. A lot of people don't know that, but um, it was it was all that I was willing to invest into this thing in the beginning. And then the money that I took from there, I opened the second shop and the money that I made from those two, I opened the third one. Uh, but I've gotten better every time in, in regards to, you know, I have more access to to buying the equipment cheaper, you get a lot better with the, within each time that you that you do one of these things, and and it gets a lot easier. So for me, it was just like, look, you want to open a coffee shop? I'll help you open it. I'll be there with you side by side. You can come and learn at one of my shops. Uh, and that was the idea that if you were a person that was that was looking to open, I was going to help you open. And instead of paying me a consulting fee, you just pay in advance on my roasting, which meant that like for that whatever you're going to invest in that year. Mean, meaning that if you're going to sell $50,000 worth of coffee, then you prepay 25000 of that, and that would be my consulting fee because to me that means that I've already sold $25,000 worth of coffee. And that was the thinking behind this, and I had three lined up, and I was like, oh, I'm set. Like I have a couple of projects that I'm finishing in Mexico, and then I'm just going to keep opening shops with other people and make sure that, that they don't make the mistakes that I made early on, right, that they don't um, – you know, we, we grew really fast um, and our popularity, and I, I know that in the last, in the two years, uh, we had more write-ups than any other roaster in Portland. So it, we, it meant that we were doing something right. Um, and I wish that at the time I could have just taken some some time to just sort of, um, part, not necessarily part of, but like had more mentors around me, which I do now, right? I have a, a good network of people that are just like, before you start doing that, look at how your next month is looking. Before you do that, uh, make sure that you're scaling for the next six months. And those are the lessons that you learn with time. Uh, and that's the things that are the pitfalls that I wanted to, to, to work on. So for me, it was just like find a way creatively to sell more coffee. And in this case, selling $25,000 worth at a time was the idea to do it. And, you know, I'd rather I like I like owning shops, but I like helping people do stuff right. Um, it, and this is maybe my consulting background that kicks in, but this is what I do naturally. And, and um, even now, as I walk into a shop, whether it's here or in Mexico, I, I have a hard time just sitting down and relaxing. I almost have to look the other way because I, I start counting all the things that could be better. 
right? From the workflow <laughs> to the processes yeah. to the coffee. And it's just like, dude, nobody wants to hear you. Just shut up and have your coffee. So <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I'm that guy. No, that's great, man. But, but again, and uh, so I, I know you were also involved with, you know, and we're talking about a little bit of the DACA. Are you planning on, on keeping that mission as well? Uh, you know, helping, you know, at this time before your organization with the nonprofit sector? You know, he, here's the thing. When when I started with this thing, um, I think when I, before we even had a shop, we raised over, um, I think it was over $5,000 and it went back to United We Dream, right? Which at the time was a tiny, unheard of nonprofit, a youth-led. And, and I don't want to put anybody on blast, but they were, I, I never got... I didn't even get like a like a thank you or anything. Not that I needed the the recognition, but for me it was just like, yo, let's work together, let's build on this, let's do something greater. And I think they were having their own like growth issues at the time. Uh, and then it became less okay. and less like 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 transparent where the money. Like I just I'm so skeptical about a lot of where my money goes. That at the same time when people donate to me, I make sure I'm like, hey, here you guys go. Like here's the money, here's the PayPal receipt of the money that we sent, right? Like. Uh, it's a little weird, but that's just the way that the I see it. So, I, I the thing I learned as as we opened the shop and and we were it got to the point where we we're like, yo, if you're a DACA recipient, send us a note and you know write us like finish this essay and and if we can, we'll we'll issue you like the four hundred and eighty five dollars that you need to to do your paperwork. And that was a, a that was a great idea in theory, but then we got bombarded with like twenty people that like that you can't help. And I'm like, shoot, now we did, now we're doing too much. Right. Cause we're not a nonprofit. Yeah. And the thing that I learned at the end is like, if you want to help your community, if you want to help your people, you have to be able to be successful yourself so that you could create more opportunities. So you could provide more resources. And, you know, looking back at the DACA thing, it wasn't so much about the money. It was about creating awareness. And who would have thought that at a time DACA was going to be such a pivotal, like, talking point or, or a topic of conversation, especially when it came down to shutting down the government for the time that it yeah. had, right? Like, we never imagined. Nobody knew what a DACA recipient was. And for now, you know, the thing that drives me about this this project where I started with um, with Mexico over the last two weeks with sending money back to my friends is, like, how do I find something else? If this is going to continue and it's going as well as it is, um, then I have to focus back on my community. So... I started having the same conversations with like, how do we help uh, undocumented um, farm workers or even even your favorite cook and your favorite restaurant that you don't know about that that could possibly still uh, not necessarily working undocumented, but like that doesn't is not a, a citizen or is receiving any yeah. benefits that we are like, how do we help them out? Is there something out there? And, and that's that's what I'm looking at. And, and not this week, but the week after that, that's where some of these funds will be going. And. And I'll make a more um, thought out statement as to like, here's how we're going to make sure that it goes to that. Because again, um, I want to make sure that like the stuff that we're doing is, is, you know, we're raising some money, but it's not a lot of money. I, I think for us, it's like, how do we use our network uh, to create more awareness so that more people can, can use what we're doing so that we can be that force multiplier, right? Like I could have just taken my 400, $500 and donated it or given it to my friends. But if I can triple that, and raise more money and more awareness. And that's the way to do it. And I hope that doing that along the way, that more people are having those conversations, that more people are looking at that folks like my, uh, you know, 
some of my relatives that are are dealing with that my my you know family that they're like well that's awesome i've been working for the last like so many years but i'm not going to get this 1200 check because i'm not a you know, yeah i'm i'm not a uh, entitled to it so no, no, no. And, and, and I like that because, you know, we started to see, you know, the demographics about, you know, especially in New York, it's, and it's going to be, uh, I, I believe, in, in Chicago, but, you know, who's getting more affected by uh, by the by this virus? And obviously, you know, it affects our communities more because we're the last line of defense. So the people are still, you know, essential workers are still picking you know, our fruits and vegetables, uh, have no protections, have nothing and they're the most successful and they're the ones that can do the what we're doing what you and i are doing working from home and still getting you know some 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 relief so how do we bring you know awareness to platforms like yours yeah you know it's going to be i hope that that we can find something positive that that grows from this i think uh i was looking at the numbers how disproportionate the the uh, mortality rate is in in the minority community, in, well, not minority, in the Latino and the African American community, you're like, oh shoot, it's like six to one right now, uh, in some yeah. of these like big cities. So, um, you know, there's a lot of underlying um, factors that that are leading to this. But how how is it that whatever it is that you're doing right now, how do you tailor it so that you focus on changing this? And for me, if if my entire model comes to like roasting coffee for for one purpose. So be it, you know, but I have to figure out a way to do it as a, from a very capitalist, uh, uh, like way of thinking, um, because I, to me, that's just the only way, right? Like I, like I mentioned earlier, if you want to help your community, you have to be successful and you have to be really good at what it is that you're doing. And, Correct. and even when I hear my friends talking about like, I don't know, man, I'm thinking about doing this, but more as a nonprofit. And I'm like, it just, that's awesome. Nonprofits are incredible and they serve a purpose, but like, you have to make money first. You have to figure out a way to to do it so that you can take care of yourself first, take care of the people around you and make sure that you can do more for your community. So if that means that I'm roasting like for the next year and and sending all my money back to somebody and, and it's doing all those things and, and checking those boxes and let's do it. No, I, I'm with you. And we said it over and over. We have guests. You know, we've learned that like, we all want to help, but again, if you're not feeding yourself, then you know eventually you'll dry out, and, and you know all your efforts are going to go in vain. So we're absolutely in, in, in tune with that mentality. So I, I have just to you know wrap it up. Uh, where do you see yourself? Well, actually, let's go back. Nobody sees anything in the next couple couple of months, <laughs> but <laughs> it's it's all up in the air. Uh, yeah, yeah. But you know, in an ideal situation, what would you like to see uh, in, in the next six months? For myself or for everybody else? For the entire... No, no, system? for yourself and, and for Reforma. Well, for me, it's it's very simple. You know, I, I'm excited about this rebrand stuff and, and what that's going to look like and some of the stories that we're going to be able to share. Um, you know, assuming that everything goes as, as planned, meaning that the that the chain doesn't break, right? That the producer still being able to produce yeah. coffee and still being able to to use exporters to bring it over, then everything goes as planned. You know, my concern is always that if if this thing hits Latin America as hard as, as, as some people anticipate it, and, you know, some of these governments are like, you know what, screw your coffee. We need you to grow chia. We need you to grow quinoa. We need you to grow black beans because they grow, mm-hmm. all these crops grow a lot faster. And it's because you have to feed 
the country, then to me, that's always good. It's, it's the worst case scenario. But assuming none of that happens and everything stands as it is, um, I can continue roasting. Um, I'll get La Palita opened up again and, and people will be okay to come in and, and I'll be able to hug my friends and, and meet new folks and all the stuff that we normally did and, and before this whole thing happened. Um, I plan to open a shop in Southern California, uh, mostly because I want to be reconnected with my family and be closer to them. I want to continue to focus simply on roasting coffee. Um, not for not for stores, but rather for um, sales online. So my whole distribution channel would either be Amazon and, and online sales, which is how you could get it right now, reformerroasters.com. <laughs> but, uh, you know, aside from that, aside from that, aside from like seeing all the things that, that I do think will happen, um, I do see that we come out of this uh, a lot more grateful as a society. I do see that as business owners, um, we learn to do more with less. Um, this is the only way that I know how to do it, right? My, my family comes from from a poor background. So so when we have these conversations, we're like, dude, we've been poor our whole life. Like this is this is nothing to us. We're accustomed to not going anywhere and like blowing money or going on. Yeah. Home, right? Like it's a very common thing when you hear it within the Latino community. So, um, you know, I, I hope that, that, that this, this provides humility for everybody. Um, and if it is to the point where like it starts affecting our partners and the other side of the country uh, or the other side of the world, excuse me, that um, that we start seeing like how important they are, right? Like coffee shops and roasters, especially in our industry, love to talk about how like, oh, we buy coffee from Latin America. We support these people. And you're like, yeah, okay. All right, I'll, I'll buy it. I don't see anybody that looks like that in your staff. I don't see any of those yeah. values or that humility or the hospitality, but if you're going to put it on your bag and you're going to put it on your flyers, I'll buy it. I hope that, that this experience for everybody becomes one that, that it humbles you to a point of where like, do you remember that time where I had to actually show up, roast coffee, package it myself because I had no employees and deliver it person to person. Like that's not just my story. You know, this is something that I'm doing for, because I'm trying to to take care of my friends and I'm, and quite honestly, I'm trying to make sure that um, this coffee doesn't go bad and that we continue moving. But this is the reality for some of the people that have been kind of sitting back, just enjoying the life of owning a shop or two and just sort of, you know, having employees doing a lot of the work. I mean, a lot of them are not going to admit it, but I know for yeah. a fact that they're working harder than they ever have just to keep going. So if anything, oh, absolutely. You know, Everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to humble I us. Think it's going to humble us and it's going to make us appreciate it. Absolutely. And, and, and then when you get that, it, it, and if you even come out of the situation humble, uh, more appreciative than your shitty human beings, that's my perspective. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> seriously. I mean, it, 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 it's kind of crazy to think that, right? Like right now, um, it, it's almost at times where like you could only take so much news. Like I have the news playing 24-7 in the morning, you know, CNBC. Uh, just to hear all the financial and then see the numbers. And then later on, it's like the more serious news. And and you hear like one side of uh, of the party saying like, you know, got to keep lockdown. And the other is like, like, let's open up already. Like there's parts of the country where we can open up and you know, they don't mean it, but they want to be, they want to say they were right. If we, if we flatten this curve, they'll be like, yeah, it was not that big. Yeah. Of a deal. Like, you're, just, you're like, ah, it's not the time for that shit. You know, like knock it off. Like just, if you just exactly. enjoy the fact that, that we're all in the same boat and, and, you know, figure out a way to make a living and support your community. Yeah, well, I really want to 
thank you, you know, for taking the time right now and, and these times. And, you know, hopefully, like I said, we'll get to see each other pretty soon. Uh, uh, and again, you know, the invitation is open for you to come back in, in, in a few months and tell us, you know, how, how your plans are going and, you know, have a, uh, you know, hopefully have you in studio once everything goes back to semi normal. Whatever normal, you know, the invitation is there. Thank you so much at reformagrocers.com. Angel, Angel Medina, thank you so much. I really appreciate you and stay safe, everybody. Thank you all. Really appreciate your time. Today's episode of the Latino Founder Hour is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. They offer comprehensive PR services, and Publicize becomes a member of your team and can promote multiple PR announcements monthly. Check them out at publicize.co and tell them Sylvia and Edgar sent you. You've been listening to the Latino Founder Hour podcast. El programa Latino Founder Hour es grabado en las instalaciones de NetSpace en el estudio Bigfoot Podcast en la hermosa ciudad de Portland. Our audio engineer, mixer, and podcast editor is Alain Beausoleil. Diseñador de logo, Carolyn Main. Our network logo was designed by Jessica Chan. Diseñador de sitio web, Cameron Grimes. Our production assistant is Chelsea Lancaster. Tema de música, Funning and Sunning, de Kevin McLeod. Cree en ti mismo, sueña en grande y confía en el universo, de Marta Leticia y Silvia Romero.